Hey there, and welcome to Beer Branding Trends, conversations on building stronger craft beverage brands. Kodo Design has spent more than a decade working with craft food and beverage artisans, helping them to brand or rebrand, reposition, and reimagine what a compelling F&B brand can be. This show captures all of our fieldwork and experience into practical strategies, tips, and tactics to help you build a stronger brand and sell more beer. I'm Isaac Arthur. And I'm Cody Fay. And this is the Beer Branding Trends Podcast. Hey, Cody, what's up? Isaac, not a whole lot, man. How are you doing today, sir? I am stupendous as usual. Cody, today we are talking about a Beer Branding Trends newsletter we sent out a while back called How to Future Proof Your Brand. The reason we're doing this is according to analytics, that was one of our most read and opened and clicked about emails uh, that we've sent in recent memory. And, And maybe more importantly, this is more qualitative, but we received more than a dozen responses back to that email. So I think there's a lot of interest in this topic. Are you cool with that? I think maybe you just wrote a really good clickbait title for that email. I did. <laughs> and the, but no, yeah, let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, all 12 emails back to us were actually complaints. Uh, they weren't They weren't good <laughs> emails back. But <laughs> Unsubscribe. <Yeah. laughs> Please take me off of your list. I thought this would be worth revisiting or even just talking about here on this channel for people that, that might be interested. So the email... Just as an overview, uh, the idea of future-proofing your brand, this conversation started because of a kombucha brand that reached out to us. We're actually working with them right now, so we won't name them yet. But in that initial conversation, they wanted us to to help them work through their foundational branding, packaging, website, and stuff like that. And during the first conversation, the idea that spurred this email, one of the founders asked us, can we brand ourselves really well now so we never have to rebrand? How can we create something timeless like Starbucks or Budweiser? And that's actually a good question. It's pretty straightforward, right? Why didn't we ever think of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember after the the meeting, you and I were joking. I remember thinking of that scene in Happy Gilmore where Happy hits a hole in one. He's like, man, that's so much easier. I'll just do that every time. That's that's effectively what this, uh, this person was saying. Just brand yourself perfectly the first time and, and we'll be done. But, but again, after thinking about it, that's actually a really good question. So what makes a brand timeless? If there's anything that we can figure out within that question, how can we apply that to brands that we're building today, brands that people that are listening to the show are building so that they can be more future-proofed and not have to change every five or 10 years? So let's dive right in, but I'll put you on the spot, Cody. What do you think makes a brand timeless? I've got a rough list here together, but I'm curious just off the cuff. What do you think? Sure. I think people throw that word around a little more loosely than perhaps they should. Timelessness is a big, big concept, and it is built, believe it or not, over time. So uh, my first response, consistency would be huge, meaning you see the same image so many times that it burns itself deep into your brain, and you are not able to conceive of it any other way. I think that's big. I think people kind of underrate that. I, I think there's a, a degree of relevancy. So there should be sort of an underlying narrative. I know we'll get into this more here as we talk through this, but I should be able to feel sort of an emotional connection over it. And that should be able to last potentially several decades in the case of these big monster brands that people always allude to when they talk about the timelessness of a brand. And then more than anything, And I think this is where people get tripped up on thinking about this. I think the way I hear people sort of converse around the idea of like a timeless brand, 
I think people put way too much stock in the form and the sort of execution and what the branding actually looks like. Sort of that the actual, you know, in the Starbucks logo, it's the mermaid or the Nike swoosh or whatever. They think a little too literally about it. Like there's something formally timeless about it. But what's actually behind those brands often is hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars over time in advertising and production and placing these ideas and messages and relating them to this mark in different media channels to become, you know, quote, timeless. I don't, I don't know. It, it, is any of that stuff on your list? Yeah, that's, that's pretty close already. You brought up a great point that's worth discussing before going any further. From time to time, we'll have a client say they want something, like you mentioned, like something iconic, like the Nike swoosh or the Starbucks uh, mermaid so badge or icon, whatever you want to call it. So not so much simple and minimal, but they want something with that deep cultural impact. So we can create any number of marks that look like that. That's straightforward. We do it very often. But but the Nike swoosh means what it means because that company has spent, to your point, billions of dollars encoding it with messaging and taglines and sponsorships and co-branding. It takes on a life beyond even what you see before you to where you can take that swoosh and you can show that to someone across the world that doesn't speak English and they understand what it means. They understand the status that that thing contains. I think it was Ogilvy, David Ogilvy in one of his books is probably Ogilvy in advertising. He talked specifically about how important consistency and budget are to building a powerful brand. The example he gave, and this is like back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, probably 50s, 60s, but a client, it was very common back then, kind of in the Mad Men era, for clients to switch agencies or campaigns like you know, every couple quarters when they weren't seeing traction. But he found that assuming you had a compelling product and campaign idea in the first place, that you could you you just run that campaign into the ground. You run it for 30 years. You don't change anything until you start seeing slipping sales. And it, it's on a much smaller scale these days because we don't the, the number of iconic ad campaigns and brands are, are kind of further than further and far between than they used to be. But I think of like more recent beer brand or beer advertising would be the find your beach from Corona. Uh, the most interesting man in the world will probably be, will probably rank as one of the more uh, compelling campaigns of all time. But the idea there was that those were consistent for years and years and years. So the point here that applies to our conversation is that these timeless brands, the Nikes, Starbucks, Apple, Rolex, what's another one, Harley Davidson, these didn't become timeless overnight. It took decades, uh, hundreds of years in some cases, and ungodly amounts of money to get there. Yeah, I think of, um, I obviously won't mention them because it doesn't bears mentioning, but there's a, there's a dentist here in town that <laughs> their logo is a tooth and it looks like the tooth is made out of Nike swooshes. Mm. And <laughs> I always think of that when people bring up the I want to have branding impact the way Nike does. It, that doesn't mean you put literal Nike swooshes into your branding. You know, you have to back <laughs> way up. And and so when people ask for that, I get what they mean. But sometimes I wonder if I'm offering a little bit too much rope for people to hang themselves with in that case. Because, you know, quite frankly, it's not that easy. You can't just make a image and then wipe your hands and say, all right, cool, we made Nike or we, you know, we, we cloned what Nike has done over the last 50, 60 years. So kind of talking, going back to that beer branding trends email from you mentioned from the top, what were some of the other points? 
I need to ask you about that dentist <laughs> offline. I want to figure out who that is, but yeah, my, uh, my, I, I go to the vet for all my dentistry. So my, uh, my first point from that email was that a timeless brand has to have a compelling point of view and immutable cultural relevance. So what this means is that you have to have a compelling story or a reason for existing. You kind of, if you want to be dramatic, you know, what dragon are you slaying? Are, are you slaying the tide of corporate computers built for accountants like Apple is doing, or maybe you're fighting your own secret, our own, everyone's uh, secret desire to sit on the couch and drink beer and not exercise in the case of Nike to be timeless. I think a brand needs to touch on a on an immutable human need, something that will not ebb and flow over time. I think uh, for Apple, you know, like creatives need to, a means to express themselves. They need tools to build those things. For Nike, people will always want to be in better shape, especially as, as our lives continue to become softer and more devoid of anything resembling physical toil. So you talk about now and look in the future 30 years, both of those things are probably still going to be true. I, I Hopefully they're still true unless this whole thing goes <laughs> off the rails. This is also where the more cynical stuff starts to enter the picture. Like, you know, Coca-Cola isn't a, uh, <laughs> isn't just like sugar water or diabetes inducing sugar water. It, it's, it stands for a moment of happiness and togetherness. Coca-Cola is a really interesting example for me too, because, you know, if we go way back to the top to this guy who asks you, you know, I, you know, what do we have to do for this kombucha brand to create something that is timeless in the mode of pick a, pick a corporate behemoth? That also assumes that those companies figured their branding out at the outset, which yeah. is not the case. Yeah. You know, Starbucks, Nike, Coca-Cola, Apple went through probably a dozen different logos that are both completely different and also subtle tweaks on their current things. So I think when people want that timelessness but they don't do this sort of historical research to understand how you get from point A to point Z, then you start to just think that the Starbucks logo emerged fully formed out of nothingness. And it's just not the case. You went through a bunch of different iterations. You know, the company grows, expands, changes, whatever. And everything kind of has to respond to that in the, con the sort of public-facing context of that. It doesn't just drop in your lap. And maybe that's a testament to just how well branded these companies are. That people, it just it makes it look easy. But for Starbucks, we'll kind of stick there for a moment. I, I think their value props kind of changing now because they're. It'll be interesting to see where Starbucks is as a as a corporation ten years from now. But traditionally, like the the third place, right? I think I think Howard Schultz might have even coined that idea, like an elevated coffee experience a place you can frequent to signal that you have great taste and, and, and you're wealthy and all this stuff. There's a sociological thing at play here as well in building a brand like this where you're allowing people to identify as the end group so they can find community and shared values with other fans. So that's why uh, that's why dorks will put Apple stickers on their car. Apologies to any of our listeners with Apple stickers in the car. but <laughs> like, uh, like more than half of our listenership, I imagine. Uh, guys, Cody, <laughs> what stickers do you have on your car, <laughs> on Stefan? I do not have any stickers on my car. Um, I do have a Grim Reaper air freshener on the on the air conditioner vent, though. You're not gonna you're not gonna cop to rocking that Dukakis sticker. Did you peel that off? Is that <laughs> Dukakis 2024? He's coming back, baby. <laughs> He's like 70, 70. Well, I mean that'd be young for a president these days. All right, <laughs> are you truck nuts? Yeah, now nah, we'll let, let that one go. All right. <laughs> I don't have truck nuts on my grandma. No truck nuts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Man, truck nuts exist, don't they? Oh, yeah. My second point, and I have them. My second point on my lawnmower, my second point was that timeless brands are design-led. And so what that means, I think that you were hinting at this, and we'll kind of just tackle it more directly now. When you look at these timeless companies, whatever we call timeless today, they have a very clear, they all have a very clear design language. Coca-Cola, Nike, Budweiser, honestly, even not as sexy, but, but relevant here, Ford, Chevy, uh, big automobile oh, absolutely. brands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any of the remaining automobile brands would qualify for this, I think. Yeah. And I, I we'll just, we'll talk about Apple because that that's the, the darling in this, this world, but everything's sleek, contemporary, minimalist. I mean, it, it is gorgeous and it has done more to define kind of just capital D design, industrial design, the world of design over the last two decades than maybe any company on the planet. Uh, instantly recognizable. And, and the philosophy is famously imbued at every level of the company, more to the earlier point about how these companies are design-led. So, you know, Steve Jobs famously talking about, was it the carpentry metaphor? I should look up the quote. It's something about a carpenter making a beautiful chest of drawers. You're not going to use a piece of plywood on the back, even though it faces a wall and no one will see it. You're going to use proper lumber. You're going to you're gonna have proper joinery. You're going to finish it. So you'll know it's there, even if no one else will, is you're going to use a beautiful piece of wood on the back. And so I think that's a good metaphor for how these these timeless brands think about their identity, not as just a surface level indicator, but their brand is a profit center and it's something that they continually invest in. So very quickly kind of pivot here. The third point was that timeless brands bend, but they don't break. This kind of relates to the first point about having broad cultural relevance. So a timeless brand or these timeless brands understand that visual styling, to your point earlier, Cody, you talked about how, uh, and that was a great point. We should have, well, you look at like historic Apple logos. There's some dog shit Apple logos. It's it's hard to imagine kind of where they, where they are now versus where they were in the 70s or 80s. Timeless Brain will understand that visual styling and aesthetics can and should shift over time to stay relevant more with the fads, but their core reason for existing, your purpose, your essence, uh, that stuff will always remain steadfast and be represented through your core identity itself. So aesthetics matter, obviously, but the storytelling and core promise matter more. And Timeless Brands understand that marketing and advertising are ephemeral then kind of change with the seasons. It can be trendier and more disposable. And this allows you to speak to kind of current day customers and their whims and wants and needs without abandoning your core positioning. Yeah. And and I think when people ask us this question, when clients ask, you know, how do we build a timeless brand? That's kind of how we feel that question. You know, you start with identifying an important, unchanging human need that, you know, your product, your service, your brand, whatever it is can fulfill. That allows you to kind of get your aesthetic house from in order from day one. You know, how do you design a brand identity so that it will stand the test of time? Given some of those big boy examples we've talked about, Apple, mm-hmm. Coke, all of this, they all kind of have the same traits. And you kind of look for this stuff, you know, a core, simple, iconic mark, you know, whether that's typography or a literal little bug style mark, really focused, unique, limited color palette. And have a clear visual language, messaging and voice, kind of tone, the the overall visual palette and vocabulary and iconography is all really dialed in up front. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. And the third takeaway would be to understand and embrace that your brand can and should evolve over time. Your packaging will have multiple generations and refreshes. Your positioning could even shift and change a little bit. Your surrounding aesthetics and trade dress could change 
but your core mark. So if we're, if we're starting out with a, a new brand today, like that kombucha brand, your core mark should stay somewhat intact and be as simplified as possible at the beginning so that we know that we, we don't have a bunch of overly trendy stylistic applications to it that, that aren't going to age well at all. And then all you have to do is spend hundreds of millions of dollars to promote this stuff <laughs> over several decades. That's a cheat code, isn't it? <laughs> Billions of dollars. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Beer Branding Trends. If you like what we're doing here, if you find this valuable, please rate and review us over on iTunes. And head over to beerbrandingtrends.com to join more than 5,000 subscribers who receive our monthly email newsletter covering strategy, currents, and actionable advice from Kodo Design, a branding firm on the front lines of beer and beverage branding. Take care. We'll catch back up with you soon.